This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today's show, episode 136, Climbing Mount Parnassus in the wintertime, is a trip report. And it is different than our standard format. If you are new to the Adventure Sports Podcast, please know this is not a standard format. Normally, we're interviewing amazing guests on the show about all sorts of different types of adventure sports. But today's show is a trip report. It was recorded mostly live out in the field while we climb the mountain. So even the audio quality is going to be different. You're going to hear a lot of wind. You're going to hear me huffing and puffing. But we're trying to take you there so that you can enjoy the climb along with us secondhand and maybe be inspired to get out and try some things like this yourself. Let me introduce the guys that were on the climb. With me were Caleb Linville, my son, my nephew, Stephen Moldenhauer, and my good friend, Stone Hubbard. And these guys are all 18, 19 years old. I'm more than twice that, so I was really grateful that they were willing to to help the old man up the mountain, but we had a fantastic time together. And I should point out, this is not a simple day hike. This mountain was, in a lot of ways, trying to do us in. The avalanche conditions were extreme that day. The temperatures were below zero degrees Fahrenheit for most of the day. We had winds of up to... I would say 40 miles an hour, and uh, some of us experienced a little bit of frostbite. My water bottle froze, so I had to climb without water because everything was frozen solid. There were several things that made this hike really challenging. The conditions themselves were difficult. We're hiking in snowshoes and in deep powder, so 11 hours of uh, very, very strenuous trying to get up this amazing mountain, but it was a great time. What I wanted to point out, though, is that if you have not done something like this before, then by all means, you should give it a try, but not until you're trained. This is one of those situations where the the avalanche danger, the extreme cold, if you don't know how to build a shelter and spend the night in it in the middle of the wintertime and below zero temperatures, if you don't know how to avoid avalanches, then maybe you should get that training first. But then I encourage you, get out and experience the winter wonderland at high altitude It is amazing, and not many people really get to experience that. So it was a really fun time, but not for the faint of heart. And you should know that all of these guys were graduates from Jefferson County's Outdoor Leadership Program. Stephen and Stone, both are guides that lead expedition trips into the wilderness with groups. And Caleb, he and I have done quite a few winter trips. We've done a lot of mountaineering together, a lot of snow caves, Caleb is thoroughly trained and experienced as well, so it was kind of the perfect crew to take up on a day like this, and man, we had a glorious time. So enough of the introductions. One thing I wanted to point out, though, I believe it was the next day or someday soon, Stone was over at our house early in the morning. We were up in our mountain cabin, almost 9,000 feet above sea level, and again, frigid cold outside, but hey, we had a beautiful fire in the stove And Stone started playing the guitar. So imagine sitting in the mountain cabin at nearly 9,000 feet in the middle of the wintertime, listening to the guitar. And yes, I flipped on a microphone because I wanted to capture that music to use it as a background for this trip report. So if you like the music you hear, 
Stone Hubbard not only is performing it, but he also wrote the music, and I think it's really unique. But you're going to hear some strange background noises in the music, too. You might hear my dog. You might hear someone moving around. That's because we were just enjoying a mountain morning, so now you get to be a part of that. And if you would like to tell Stone about his music and contact him, by all means, uh, you can reach Stone by going to the adventuresportspodcast.com and hit the Contact Us button, and you can leave your comments there. I'll make sure that Stone gets the information. Enough introductions and explanations. This is going to be a fun, special trip report podcast. Enjoy. Pressure's on, guys. So, what's today? I have no 26th. idea. It's a good day. 26th. What's the temperature? Cold. 9, 10. 9, 10 degrees. Six. It was negative 1 a minute ago. What are we doing? We are about to have some fun. Climbing Mount Parnassus. Climbing Mount Parnassus. Climbing Mount Parnassus. Parnassus is 13.574, I think. What was the avalanche report this morning? Don't step in an open field. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is going to slide, so don't get on it. So we left the skis at home. It's going to try to stay above all the the avalanches. So what do you guys think about this? Give me a a sound bite, something good. I'm excited for the views. The views? Yeah. I don't know, just get up there and hike. Not so good to awesome, it's like two times awesome already <laughs> it's beautiful so we have uh, patchy clouds with blue sky shining through we've got clouds hanging to the top of Mount Tories, the 14er right there we drove through uh, snow this morning, a little bit and it looks like we don't have a lot of wind, which is nice but, that I don't know that may change we have some hiking to do let's hit it So we're snowshoeing. We finally got far enough away to get away from the noise of I-70, which is really nice. We've got, oh boy, a foot of powder on top of, I don't know how much, consolidated snow. We're going through this alpine forest with lots of aspen and lodgepole. The young men are teaching me that 20 years at a desk job hasn't paid off. On the way up here in the car, we are talking about why, why do this kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. We came up with kind of a theory that there are two things going on. Some people do it. What was it? Some people do it for personal challenge or personal growth, and other people do it for adrenaline seeking. That's kind of where we land. And then, of course, there's a hybrid of both. I think that, not to get too statistical, but there's probably a continuum, right? You've got the adrenaline junkies on one side, and you've got the adventure personal growth people on the other. Mm-hmm. 
and then we lie somewhere in the middle. So why are you here? Get outside uh, to see a wonderful environment, uh, to have personal challenge and personal growth. I think just getting outside is very beneficial for the soul and for the body, for the mind. I always think I'm a little crazy on winter stuff because you get out of the car and it's not fun. But then you start hiking <laughs> and you get to see the fresh snow with no tracks in it and the snow-capped mountains. And I don't know. It's just a beautiful experience that you can't get unless you get out. Yeah, it's nice. You get about half, three-quarters of a mile in and it's a different world. It's hard getting out of the car sometimes. So Stone's our trail breaker right now. Why are you here? I think it... Well, it goes in two stages. What I'm noticing right now is when it's below a tree line and there's really, it's really hard to find any real danger in here because of avalanches. And what I'm trying to do right now is just really let my spirit, my energy kind of connect with the woods. And like feel it and just like the pure enjoyment of being up here. And then I feel like when we get above tree line and start reaching, you know, towards the top of the peak where it becomes a lot more apparent that there are certain factors that, um, you know, create the risk that it'll become more of a, more of a challenge to, trying to overcome and start getting that adrenaline going. <laughs> I think your spirit is connecting with a snow gazelle. <laughs> what about you, Caleb? I'm here to recharge and connect with nature. Yeah, it's inspiring. So, was it better with the snowshoes or without? I think I'm going to take them off. You're going to take them off? At least for the trail break, but it's this bam slide, and I don't get that when I don't have them on. Really? You know, if you toe in more than flat foot in? Really? Well, for those of us who aren't trail breaking, is it better with them on or off? On. On? On. I'm going to keep mine on for now. Why are you here? I'm here to spend time with three of my favorite guys on the planet. <laughs> to to move and to breathe, to see this amazing creation out here. So the, on the way up, we've been looking at uh, 14er across the valley, and it, it's socked in now, but boy, watching that thing come to life as the, the sun came up was beautiful. It's nice. Little confession. turning 48 in two months and well that's not old I really feel blessed I'm still out here doing this but word to the wise do more of it I try to do as much as I can but you know about 17 years ago I put on a heart monitor for several days because I wanted to know what was going on the doctor said I had some sort of a rapid heartbeat that came and went instead of a nice full pump it would do a quicker thumpity thump and over the years it's become my friend it visits me more often than I want it to when first got out of the car, it was doing that. Holy cow. Just felt like you couldn't get 
enough energy, but then it settles into a steady, strong rhythm. And then your power comes back. I guess that's just real life, huh? So we're up to probably 11.8, nearly 12. We'll hit tree line soon. Beautiful. A word to the wise. Move some every single day. <laughs> the reason that the avalanche danger is high today is because we had good early season snow and then about a week of abnormally warm temperatures that consolidated it and made a slide layer, a nice glazed layer underneath. When we get to a steep part and our snowshoes get through the top powder, they hit that slide layer and even with a crampon, we find ourselves skiing backwards. That's why we didn't bring the skis. Slab avalanches are just too likely today. Great view. Soul work to reconnect to God. But we do it with people. And we share an experience and a challenge that not only develops us personally, but we are developing the person in front of us and behind us at the same time as they are developing us. <laughs> By the way, Stephen is one of the student leaders for Outdoor Pursuits. And Stone up here has been a group leader for a camp in Wyoming. So we've got the two experts here, which is good. You know, when you get out on the trail, your mind slows down to the rhythm of what you're doing. It's fun to just kind of let it flow and see what happens. Some people, they just want to go, 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 go. Other people want to soak it up. Sometimes so slow they're not going to summit. What kind of cracks me up is watching people in a line. It's probably best to walk about five paces behind the person in front of you. But everyone always crowds up right on the, the tailgate of the person in front of them. And the funny part is that's how you get tree limbs in the face. And when they fall, they slide back into you. Something about human nature though. You see it on the road every day. Everyone thinks that you gotta be right behind the person in front of them. Why is that? So, we're to the point now we're taking turns breaking trail because it's just too much to stay in front. And 
Steven is up there. <laughs> He's got on the biggest snowshoes of the group and the, the snow is above mid-thigh on him. <laughs> Almost up to his waist as <laughs> he's breaking through. We're on a... Oh, this is a 30 degree slope. Blow tree line, it's stable. <laughs> but, you know something, you just cruise in the summer. Comes a personal challenge. We're all standing in the back just walking up the stair steps that Steven made making cracks about it. I'm gonna call Steven the locomotive. Sun's trying to break out though, it's nice. Too cold to hold this phone, gotta put it away. Yeah, our, uh, our slow pace is turned into a crawl. To snow is so, so deep. Cut an angle across it, Caleb, see if that helps. <laughs> we were just laughing. We are talking about, what's the name of that movie? 180 South, 180 Degrees South? We're talking about those guys sitting in some hut somewhere, sharing deep thoughts. I kind of wonder how many things they recorded before they got to those deep thoughts because it's not as easy to come up with deep thoughts as take some inspiration. Going up an escalator backwards. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. So 
So we just came to a place where the trees thin out and the shoulder of the mountain is in front of us. It's our first view of the avalanche terrain. It appears we could go a little bit farther left to stay out from under it. We're starting to get glimpses of tree line here. Here's my deep thought. We're walking over trillions of crystals of water. And the way that this water can exist in one planet in three states, liquid, vapor, and, and solid, without it, life on this planet just... It couldn't flourish, it couldn't couldn't survive. Kind of like the water is the lifeblood. But what's so remarkable about it is that, I mean, hydrogen is a most common element in the universe and oxygen, while it's much more rare, it exists. You put the two together, you get water every time. But that doesn't mean that water can exist like it does here. I mean, 100 billion, 200 billion stars in just one galaxy and maybe 200 billion galaxies we know of. It's a lot of stars and as was suspected, we're finding that they have planets, but how many of them are in the sweet spot? have the right atmosphere, the right distance from their star of the right size and the right stability to create weather that makes it possible for water to do what it does. I don't know, man. We've got to protect our water. If the water's sick, the planet's sick. If the planet's sick, then life on the planet's sick. Stuff matters. So special. So they say they found water on Mars. They even say they found some evidence that it may have been a trickle of liquid water. But Mars can't begin to do what the Earth does. And no other planet in the solar system has a, a chance at it. I don't know. I think it's far more rare than people want to believe and we should value it as far more precious than we do. First chance of some of you. Whoa! So we just broke tree line. It's awesome! Tiresome though. Picture here. The summit is socked in.
What do you think, Caleb? What do you think the temperature is? Um, a couple of degrees? Yeah. Feels about like that. So on the way up, we had to go around some avalanche stuff by dropping back down into the trees. Just a pile of loaded snow on top of pure sugar. It was not where you wanted to be, but now we have a windswept shoulder. No snow, we can just keep on hiking. Everybody, I wish you could be here. Well, I don't know how high we are. 12.5 maybe? Sounds about right. It's getting beautiful. Got clouds and blue sky dancing together. What do you say, guys? Hi. <laughs> Steven has ice in his eyebrows. I had to get a picture of that. Right on. I'm going to record a little bit. So, man, how many explosions have we heard, guys? Can't get my glove on. Sounds like the highway department is blasting Loveland Pass, trying to keep it open for the truckers. They try not to let hazardous materials go through the Eisenhower Tunnel, so the truckers have to go over the top, crazy high, a little over 2,000 feet. But for that to happen, they have to keep knocking the snow off the mountain. There's a cadence to climbing above treeline. Step and breathe, step and breathe, step and breathe, step, step and breathe. Something about trying to find a rhythm that your lungs can keep up with. Maximizes your your speed. It's crazy how simple things get up here. How big of a step should I take? Should I pause between steps? Is my foot gonna slide on this snow? We've got a beautiful pile of rocks sticking out of the snow above us. But if my memory serves me right, there's a knife edge on the other side with a cornice. Which could be the crux of the day. We left our snowshoes just above treeline. Not because there's no snow up here, but because we're on a windblown ridge. So it's ankle deep. But well, we kept our shovels, all of our emergency supplies, food and water. Oh, the sun just came out. I can see my shadow. Well, I know that as a listener, 
this is probably boring, boring, boring. But just want to get a feel for the sounds. Boulders sticking out of windswept snow. Little pieces of dried out yellow tundra poking their tiny little heads up out of the snow. Every now and then a nice gust of wind. Mount Francis. It's twin. Bard. We can't see the summit of Parnassus. It's in the clouds, but we can see Bard. Less than a thousand feet above us. Looking over there, I can kind of gauge. On our own mountain. The temperatures are around zero or below. When the wind kicks up, it's something. Kudos to the mountaineers who summit the bad boys in the winter, or even Everest in the summer. Lonnie Dupree, almost a year ago, in two weeks it will be, summited Denali solo January. He is one of the masters of the cold. Our friends up in the north. Alaska, Minnesota, Canada, East Siberians, Scandinavians, you guys have mastered your skill set. The rest of us don't really understand, but it's impressive. Getting steeper. So at this point in the climb, my cell phone that I was using to record the the journey, right? It froze up. When I would press the button to get the screen to activate so I could turn on the recorder, the button would freeze down, which turned off the phone. So I was unable to record, but a quick summary of what follows is that we were well above treeline and trying to make the summit, and the wind was blowing really, really hard. And the temperatures were sub-zero. Don't know how cold, but it was it was very, very cold. It was one of those situations where any exposed skin um, would get frostbite very, very quickly. Matter of fact, uh, Caleb left the edge of his nose exposed so he could breathe more easily. And he got a little bit of minor frostbite, which caused his skin to peel off and had to, just like a sunburn, had to come back again. It was cold, and uh, there were a lot of false summits. So as we thought we were almost to the top, we would round over a a hump and think that we were there and then see more mountain in front of us, which is disheartening, but also kind of playful. The mountains are like that. You know, they can just kind of play with you and toy with you and tempt you. And you know that the summit's going to be worth it, but it can be so disheartening you want to turn around and go back the other way. And uh, both Stephen and I had altitude sickness. And the reason is because we had not had enough water. My water bottle froze, and so I was unable to get water. So we we really started feeling like we should turn around. You know, somewhere up there, you get on a false summit, and you think, ugh. But then the wind would blow, and the 
the frozen clouds would clear enough to see the actual summit, and we realized we really weren't that far, and so we pressed on. And uh, this was the part that was probably the most challenging because at this point, when you have altitude sickness, your head is pounding, your stomach is nauseous, and you really feel like you just got to do something besides what you're doing. And the only cure is to go down. But um, we pressed on because it wasn't too severe. And when we got to the top, we had views off the, the backside of that mountain that were just astounding. Um, cliff faces along a narrow traverse all the way over to Bard Peak and uh, just a thousand foot drop. You know, and the beautiful sunshine filtered through the clouds as they would open up and close again, showing peaks off into the distance. And there were 14ers that we could see, several of them. And the lighting was kind of low and golden and beautiful. And I tell you what, the experience of standing on that summit, you have to earn it to experience it in that way. But it was a beautiful, amazing, amazing time. And we all stood up there and cheered and gave each other a big hug and high five. And it was just a a memory that we're going to hang on to for a very long time. Really, really fun time. And so beautiful. The blue of the sky as the clouds cleared, the golden sunshine, the white snow with little bits of tundra sticking out through, sun dogs around the sun, so around rainbow, around the sun, and uh, just magical lighting, and the wind was fierce, the temperatures were frigid, but it made us feel alive. We spent very little time on the summit, it was just too cold. And we had accomplished that goal. So then we headed back down and going down was rough too. My knees were pretty sore by this point and some of the others may have been as well, but every step hurt, you know, the joints start to hurt and we worked our way down and it was, uh, it was a good distance back to our snowshoes and back to tree line where we could drop into the trees. And by the time we got there, the sun was setting and I saw some of the most beautiful um, lighting that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I won't go into that now because we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the bottom line is that it was one of those life experiences that you'll just never forget. So we got back to our snowshoes in a tree line and headed down. And we decided to cut a little bit more directly down the face of the mountain instead of the way that we had come up. And the snowshoes have crampons on the bottom, but that's not enough to stop you from sliding when you're in deep powder on steep slopes. And so we found ourselves sliding down and grabbing trees to uh, keep from going too far too fast. And we kind of slid our way down through the forest without finding the main trail. And it got darker and darker and darker and steeper and steeper and steeper. And we realized that we were over cliffs. We'd have to work our way back to where we had come up. And as we tried to go that way, Again, it got darker and darker and darker and steeper and steeper and steeper. And finally, we intersected the main trail, but it was very dark at this point. We had a couple of uh, headlamps in the group, but when we turned them on, then everyone except for the person with a headlamp on was just blinded by the light. We found that we were better off with a starlight, and uh, the moon was going to be up in another hour or so, but it wasn't up yet, so it was very dark, but we could make out the trail just a little bit. And so we began just slogging down the trail that we'd come up. But the real challenge for me was that having gone now nearly 11 hours and only had a liter of water, 
Um, I was very dehydrated. My blood got thick and, uh, I lost my coordination and it was difficult to get a breath and I kept slipping and falling. And every time I'd fall, then you have to stand up in deep powder. So it was grueling to keep moving forward, but it was a glorious experience anyway. And when we finally broke out of the woods off of the cliffs and got back to the road, I was more than ready to be there. And then we started up the the engine on the truck and uh, waited for it to heat up. The temperatures were, were below zero, and we put our water bottles up in the defroster and blew them with, with hot air until they finally melted enough that we could begin to get a sip of water. It's funny because we were walking on piles and piles and deep piles of water. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink unless we were to take time to uh, make a fire and melt it and thaw it all out. And so we just opted to try to hustle on down to the truck, but it felt so nice to finally get some water and let my blood thin back out again and start to work properly. But what an incredible experience. That's how it turned out, and there are a few more details. I want to point out, though, we did take pictures, and Stephen got the best shots. And so if you go to our website, you can see the pictures of the trip and some of the things that we're talking about. And the website, of course, is adventuresportspodcast.com. And if you go there and click the link for this episode, then all the pictures will be uploaded and you'll be able to see the experience that we had. And uh, it was just a, a really fun time. So hope you take the time to go look at those shots. But don't go away. We have a little bit more wrap up for you here and then a little something special that I put together at the end about why we climb mountains in the first place. So the phone froze up, so we had to stop recording on the mountain, but we got back to the truck, what, two hours after dark, hour and a half after dark? So, um, it was two degrees below zero when we got back down to the warm air. Caleb, how fast do you think the wind was blowing? Oh, I don't know, 20, 30 miles per hour, maybe. It was sharp, though. <laughs> so what'd you guys think of a winter ascent? Difficult. <laughs> it was awesome. There were definitely some like high points and some low points. There's definitely stuff that I would do differently next time. Very beautiful. Though. What would you? Yeah, no, it's totally beautiful. What would you change up? Bring skis. <laughs> For the last part, that would have been awesome. Yeah, we could have put just left the, the skis at Treeline. Exactly. It would have been an idea. So, on the way down, as the sun was setting, it was casting light over on Tories and over on Bard, and all the mountaintops were just lit up with a amazing sun. But the part that was so cool is that there was a, what, just a, a mist of ice particles. Yeah. Yeah. So the sun made a sundog. So it was a, a round rainbow around the sun, but something else happened was that from the sun down to the ground, there was a beam of brilliant white light that, not like the sun shining through a cloud, but rather the refraction of all those ice crystals. I'd never seen anything like that. What about you guys? That was so cool. It, was great. it looked like a spotlight. 
Yeah, I've like just coming out, was awesome. coming out of the sky, yeah. That was wild. I have never seen anything like that, and that's the beauty of it is when you get out there and you do stuff, you see new things that... You know what? I saw such beauty today, and I think we earned it. <laughs> but I saw so much beauty today that I was overwhelmed. Two or three times, completely overwhelmed. Just amazing. Amazing times, so... It was a, uh, a challenging climb. I mean, obviously, we didn't climb Everest or anything, but... So, overall, Caleb, is it a worthwhile thing to do? Oh, yeah. What do you love about it? The views. Um, just getting out and experiencing nature. For this particular climb, it was the scenery and playing in the snow and testing yourself against the extreme cold. Yeah, it was gold. So, Stone, what about you? Well, I, I enjoyed the views too. One thing that I thought was interesting about the mountain is there were a lot of fake summits. And so you would keep coming to the top of, you know, this little knoll and it would just keep going and going and going up and up and up. And I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, I just loved hiking above treeline. That's one of my favorite things to do. And just because it's so open and so exposed and you just feel like you're part of the sky and you're able to see for a long, long way. It's really cool. Steven. It was gorgeous terrain. Um, I wish I would have been in better shape and drank more water throughout the trip so that I could have enjoyed the terrain more. But uh, the personal challenge and the community um, encouraging me and everything to get to the top and then seeing the beautiful snow-capped mountains and uh, the sun and the ice crystals and the sun dogs. And it was gorgeous. So lessons learned. We should go over lessons learned. I learned a big lesson. I need to have some way to keep my water from freezing. So I, I only took two liters with me up the mountain, and I probably should have taken more, but I knew I'd get by on two. But one of my two froze, and so I was unable to drink it, and so I got so dehydrated on the way down that I, I really couldn't get my breath. It was a strange experience. So lessons learned... I'm going to have to have some way to keep the water from icing up on me. Caleb, did you learn anything? When it's negative 20 or whatever, don't take off your gloves. <laughs> yeah, even for that gorgeous picture, you could lose a finger or two. Uh, much like you, I learned I just need to drink more water. Um, well, I didn't learn it. I was reminded of it. Um, <laughs> uh, and then just your body's capable of doing a whole lot. So as you know, just pushing your limits again. What about you, Stone? I probably wish I would have done a little bit more research. I've never been, like, into avalanches and stuff like that. I've never taken a, a course or anything or read up on them, and I'd like to take a little bit more time to understand how those, uh, you know, how that works and how that whole system works around those to better understand how to travel through the mountains. Yeah, the Abbey Danger was high today, but we were conservative and we really didn't expose ourselves to any major avalanche danger, but there were still a few times that we crossed terrain one person at a time just because there is some snow load above us. And we did have two to three feet of snow on top of a slide layer of sugar snow, so it was a little bit nerve-wracking. But once we got above treeline, we were hiking where there was no danger. So that was good. Any last thoughts? I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Views are incredible. 
Get out there and have some fun. <laughs> well, it was a lot of fun, and when we're all as tired as we are to say that we're ready to go again, it just explains how magical it really is. And you don't have to climb a 13,500-foot peak to, to have a great time, but do get out into nature and uh, find a way to challenge yourself and experience things in a new way because it was totally worth it. It was the, the highlight of my Christmas break. Why climb a mountain? It won't make you rich. Climbing won't make you more popular or better looking. Climbing a mountain won't win you social status or a better position at the office. And climbing is really hard work. So why do we climb? Well, why paint? Why sing or dance? Why do writers write? Why do sculptors sculpt or carvers carve? Why do carpenters create beauty in homes and in buildings? One might ask, why breathe? Why breathe? Isn't life more than just earning a living and paying the bills? Can it be more than keeping a schedule and meeting obligations? You know, life is an act of worship. We create because we breathe, because we are. So why climb a mountain, especially when the air is full of microscopic snow and the temperatures are below zero F and the wind is biting? It is an act of gratitude that we live and breathe. We pay homage to the giver, the source. We play, face the challenges, work, explore. We live larger than the everyday. A playground is out there. It has been shaped and sculpted, formed, but not just for itself. It is there to be touched, danced with, and to teach us how small and how big we are. So why climb? Descartes uttered the familiar words, I think, therefore I am. There is something that primal about climbing. It is that raw, real, fundamental. I don't know who first answered the question of why climb a mountain by responding because it's there, but that speaks to the fundamental nature. Why climb? We don't have to. It's not easy, but it is there for us to experience. For me, it is meditation, climbing. It is living the photograph, walking through it, tasting it, feeling it. Nature batters the climber. It screams that maybe we don't really belong there, but then embraces us and tells us that she's glad we came to visit, to see, to commune with the most extreme beauty, absorbed. Maslow tried to teach us that until our basic needs are met and our basic fears are comforted, that we'll struggle to live in the higher experiences of life like self-actualization, self-esteem, and even love. He has a point. But maybe people need to love first. Maybe they need to face fears and challenges as they reach for the higher life. Maybe facing challenges and fears by going and doing and touching the extremes. Maybe by doing that we bridge the levels of life. No longer a hierarchy, but an untidy mashup undissected, organic, interwoven, real. When we climb, we are scared and self-actualized together. We find ourselves cold, tired, hungry, and in this state facing life-threatening challenges, while at the same moment, the same exhausted and scary moment, 
knowing more about the meaning of life, our rightful place in this world, and who and what we are than at any other time. Maslow makes a good point, but it's not a law. It's a framework for understanding. It does not always apply. Gravity? Now that's a law. The cold wind? A law. The ice and the biting snow? Laws. Absolutes. We know what these things do. Whether climbing a mountain is battling to move against the curvature of the space-time continuum, like Einstein said, or just pushing against the sucking attraction of matter, like Newton explained, doesn't really matter on the mountain. We know what gravity does, and we play in it. We play with it. We go up, it pushes us down. It's a dance that we fundamentally understand. Climbing is like that. Fundamental forces encountered, breathed, done. Why climb? When you have seen the most extreme beauty one can imagine. When absolutely no words can describe the experience. When you taste of life more fundamentally than you thought possible. When you are absolutely in the moment, one breath at a time, rhythmic stepping, a seemingly eternal dance, then you know. Then you know. Hey, well, I hope you enjoyed that show, a different sort of an approach this time. Thank you very much to Caleb, to Stone, and to Steven for contributing to this show, and thank you guys for a beautiful climb. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, go to theadventuresportspodcast.com, and you can see the pictures of the climb there. Just keep in mind, as gorgeous as the pictures are, until you've been there, you don't really know.